Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Indiscriminate News Network, hosted by Jason Sinclair. I honestly don't give a rat's patootie about what the mainstream media is trying to ram down our throats. I'll do the research, give my two cents, and then move on. Thank you. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the Indiscriminate News Network. I'm your host, Jason Sinclair. Hope everybody's doing well. So this podcast, I wanted to jump into Iranian frozen assets and what they are here, mainly in the United States, what's frozen, how much it's worth, and kind of dive into maybe some of the backstory on some of the frozen assets. So Iranian frozen assets and international accounts are calculated to be worth around $100 billion to around $120 billion. So almost $1.973 billion of Iranian assets are frozen in the United States. So the majority of that is frozen internet international assets. In addition to the money locked up in foreign bank accounts, Iran's frozen assets include real estate and other property. The estimated value of Iran's real estate in the U.S. and their accumulated rent is around $50 million. Besides the assets frozen in the U.S., some parts of Iran's assets are frozen around the world by the United Nations. So the background. Iran's assets were first frozen by U.S. President Jimmy Carter in 1979 after the revolutionaries overthrew the U.S. allied Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi's administration and took American hostages. After Iranian's revolution in 1979, the United States ended its diplomatic, diplomatic and economic ties with Iran, banned Iranian oil imports, and froze approximately $100 billion, uh, 1980 of U.S. dollars in assets. Many of those assets were unfrozen in 1981 after the Algiers Accord, which were signed and the hostage crisis ended. At the time of the 1979 revolution, the Pentagon resold some of the 400 million Iranian military equipment already paid for by the disposed government and the money was placed in an escrow account. Much of the frozen cash includes Iran's income from selling a limited amount of oil prior to the lifting of sanctions when Iran could legally sell oil but could not transfer the money back to Iran because doing so was illegal under the U.S. sanctions. So after the Obama administration's nuclear negotiations, some pages of the JCPOA were dedicated to listing of individuals and entities whose assets would be unfrozen, according to Nader Habibi, a professor of economics at Brandeis University. So JCPOA will lead the release of about $30 billion worth of assets a similar figure of about $32 billion was estimated by Viola Shaif, the chief of Iran's central bank. According to Washington to 2015, the pre-deal asset freeze did not have a great impact on the Iranian government, and some statements from Washington suggested. Going forward, the post-deal relaxation of restrictions will not have as great an impact as some critics of the deal suggest. The U.S. government has also seized a Manhattan skyscraper belonging to the Iranian government worth about over a billion dollars. So, seizure of Iranian assets. So, Deborah Peterson and other plaintiffs brought a lawsuit in the U.S. federal court against the Islamic Republic of Iran have obtained judgments against Iran for its role in the 1983 Beirut barracks bombings and for other acts of international terrorism. While foreign states usually enjoy immunity from claims in court, the plaintiffs invoked exception the, uh, to the Foreign 
Sovereign Immunities Act of 1976 that allows foreign states to be held liable for the acts of state-sponsored terrorism. The Central Bank of Iran, Bank Markazi, challenged execution of judgment and on various grounds. However, in 2012, Congress passed and Barack Obama signed the Iran Threat Reduction and Syria Human Rights Act of 2012, which specified that the judgment in the Peterson et al. v. Islamic Republic Iran et al. would be subject to execution and also abolished Bank Markazi to the execution of judgment. So the bank challenged the statute of un it was unconstitutional, arguing that Congress had unduly interfered with the judicial, judicial function by interviewing, interviewing in a specific case. However, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7-2 that the Congress asked was constitutional. Iran denied any involvement in the bombing, and Iran President Rouhani called the action blatant robbery. So let's jump into what assets were actually unfrozen so what in iran's hundred billion in assets was unfrozen by the nuclear deal that was signed that we now backed out of or what was released right the list of criticism of the deal between the coalition of the world powers that iran scaled back to the islamic republic's nuclear program and it's long and varied but one of the biggest is the near immediate provision of what the one U.S. official told Reuters it was worth more than $100 billion in frozen assets. Senator Tom Cotton, one of the most rabid opponents of the deal, characterized it as a signing bonus that Iran's leaders could use funds to oversee terrorism and other tax on the U.S. interests. I mean, really, it could do that, and it could also use it to, you know, build roads, medicine, etc., etc., so... You could, you don't have to go all the way one or the other. So there's some, there's some gray, not always black and white. Proponents of the deal say that it allowed Iran to begin repairing an economy hollowed by decades of punishing sanctions that began in 1979 when revolutionaries overthrew the U.S.-friendly government Mohab Reza Shah and took American hostages. After the eventual release of the hostages in 1981, tentative talks began over the disposition of assets in the U.S. that had been frozen by President Carter in 1979. The discussions quickly became complicated, in part because of the difficulty identifying personal governmental assets and tracking down assets of the disposed Shah, which the Iranian government insisted rightly belonged to Iraqi people. Many of the assets blocked by Carter in 1979 were unfrozen in 1981 after the signing of the Algiers Accord by the end of the hostage crisis. Ten years after the revolution, though, former Under Secretary of State Devin Newsom wrote, any resumption of formal relations between the U.S. and Iran will require further sorting out web of financial claims and counterclaims. To suggest this process could take place quickly neglects history, underestimates the complexity of this present situation, and obstructs an examination of further solutions to the hostage issue. So more than 25 years after Newsom's observation, the issue is still a complicated one. The U.S. has actually released billions of billions of dollars to Iran already, such as the nearly $3 billion released last summer as a show of good faith during the negotiations over Iran's nuclear program. However, according to the Congressional Research Service, there is still a substantial amount of money, real estate and other property being held. For instance, the former Iranian embassy in Washington was impounded by the United States and rented out, as were 10 other properties in various locations. 
the real estate and accumulated rent is worth to be around $50 million. All right, so let's jump in. Let's jump into some of the assets that were released. So 1.6 billion of Iran's frozen assets released. Uh, Central Bank of Iran stated. So Hamadi stated, this is from 2020, April 2020. Hamadi said on Wednesday, with the legal follow-ups of the Central Bank, the U.S. effort to seize and transfer CBI funds to Europe was thwarted. Hamadi underlined that the $1.6 billion worth of assets belonged to the Central Bank at Luxembourg's Clearstream, now to be released. The money had been frozen since January 2015 at the International Central Securities Depository. Depository. By intelligently monitoring the efforts of the United States and taking the lead in legal action, as well as following the judicial proceedings of Luxembourg, two victories were achieved by the Islamic Republic Central Bank of Iran and the new beginning of the new Persian year, he noted. So first, $1.6 billion belonged to the Central Bank was released, and then another branch of Luxembourg's course issues an interim order not to transfer the same funds to the United States to be distributed among the false claimants of the September 11 incident, incident under how, underlined by Hamadi. Under U.S. pressure, billions of dollars of Iranians' money and other funds are held up in several countries at a time when they are urgently needed to fight the deadly coronavirus. This is obviously an Iranian newspaper, so I like to save it. I'll share that one, show, uh, you know, kind of that side there. So, one of the frozen assets is the Iranian embassy in Washington, D.C. That address is 3003 Massachusetts Avenue, Northwest, and it's been locked since 1979. But what happened in that Iranian embassy and what went down? It's a pretty interesting little story. From black tie parties to boarded up windows, the story of Iran's D.C. embassy. When an owner no longer has use for the building, they typically put it on sale for the market. But what if the owner is a foreign country and lost, and one that's lost diplomatic ties to the United States? That's exactly the situation of former Iranian embassy and the former Iranian amb ambassador's residence. Two mansions that sit along the prominent stretch of Massachusetts Avenue known as Embassy Row. The buildings have been empty for decades, but they're not for sale. So if you, if you shake the massive wooden doors of the former embassies at 3003 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest, you'll find them locked shut. Uh, this paper, the WAMU, tried to get a tour and inside an interview, but it was denied by the State Department. But from photos and newspaper clickings, they know that these doors were open wide for Hollywood starlets, Washington socialites, international diplomats, and American politicians in the 1970s. So there's a picture here of Ardashir Zahadi, talking with Barbara Streisand and her date, John Peters, at the Iranian embassy. So the embassy was known for hosting lavish parties, photographing bowls of caviar. Former guests include the Nixons, Kennedys, Reagans, Kissingers, and stars like Liza Minnelli and Barbara Streisand. At the center of the party was always one man, Ardashir Zahedi. The Iranian ambassador to the United States from 1960 to 1962 and again from 1973 to 1979. He had dark hair, nice suits, a devil-maker attitude. He even dated Elizabeth Taylor for some time. He put champagne in one of her shoes and drank from it. 
Hosan Askari said, a professor of MRS of Business and International Relations at George Washington University, who knew Zahedi back then. Askari didn't attend the parties, it wasn't a scene, but he would read about them in the newspaper the next day. Iran had gotten all this money all of a sudden, Askari said, and away on a shopping spree. Zahedi oversaw the embassy's construction during this first stint as an ambassador. It helped that he was very close to the Shah of Iran, which meant he essentially had an open checkbook at the time when Iran was flush with oil money. It's like para, Parasipolopolis, <laughs> Zahedi said from Switzerland. He described it the interior of the embassy's famous Persian room, a beautiful house. The party was over. The good times ended abruptly in 1979 with the Iranian Revolution. The overthrow of the Shah and the Iranian hostage crisis contributed to the total disintegration and diplomatic relationship between U.S. and Tehran. Both countries' embassies became symbol of the times. Iranian students held Americans hostage inside the U.S. embassy in Tehran for 444 days. Now the embassy houses an anti-American museum. In the States, Zahedi and the rest of the Iranian diplomats moved out of the dozen or so Iranian-owned buildings in D.C. and other cities like New York and Houston. They haven't been back since. Local real estate agents familiar with the embassies or say are estimated that the former Iranian embassy's residents could sell for much as $12 million if it were on the market. It sits right on the edge of Kalorama, one of the city's most high-end residential areas, where the Obamas, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, and Jeff Bezos all own property. I think it's one of the best neighborhoods in the world, said Bobby Brewster, a longtime resident and real estate agent with the experience of selling diplomatic properties. It is a sample of the best, architect best architecture in the world right there. So all those Iranian-owned buildings are now caught in a strange real estate limbo. When the U.S. suspends diplomatic relations with the country, the U.S. State Department must protect the country and the U.S. properties under Vienna Convention and Diplomatic Relations. If it gets money for maintenance from renting them out, it also helps that diplomatic properties are tax-exempt. From the State Department has one time or another had custody over properties owned by Vietnam, Yugoslavia, Somalia, Cambodia, Iraq, Afghanistan, and other countries. Its Office of Foreign Missions, OFM, currently rents out the Iranian properties in San Francisco, New York, and other cities. However, the process doesn't always run smoothly, according to a 2010 State Department report. OFM isn't adequately staffed to maintain all buildings. It also has several issues with tenants getting behind on rent to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Whoa. <laughs> Here in D.C., a tenant was evicted from the former embassy's residence in 02 because she owed about $750,000 in rent. A similar situation occurred at the former Iranian consulate in San Francisco's posh Pacific Heights neighborhood last year when the landlord decided to pull the building off the rental market, the landlords being the U.S., What's next for the properties? According to the State Department report, the former ambassador's residents need more than $1.17 million in renovations to get ready to rent out, but that was 2010. Then last spring, the State Department submitted plans to renovate the 18,000-square-foot building. Two weeks ago, contractors were putting in new windows. They confirmed the, that to this paper, WAMU, that they'd hired the, they'd been hired by the department. Next or however, the former embassy also sits empty. The 2010 report noted that it had been It'd be, it had needed between $10 million to $14 million in renovations to be functional again, but renting it out would not offset those costs. Instead, it was a mothballed. So according to real estate agent Bobby Brewster, 
it became almost impossible to find a suitable tenant for the building. It looks just like it did when it was an embassy, the Iranian embassy. That means it could be remain empty until the United States and U.S. Retort, restore diplomatic ties. The best you could get out of that building would to have it come back to life, had relations brought back together, she said, somewhat optimi optimistically. Washington is a builder relationship. Parties were here and relationships were built. Very interesting on that Iranian property. So I'll share this property that's, that is owned by the Iranian government. So it was a former Iranian consulate in U.S. in Pacific Heights. And the government sued to evict them back in 2019. Um, they've been paying 5000 a month in rent before getting the notice of eviction. So they were probably getting a really, really good deal in that house, to be honest with you. A couple living in the former Iranian consulate in San Francisco Pacific's highest neighborhood since 1984 being evicted by the government via the Ellis Act. In 1980, the U.S. Department through Iranian government out of the 8,718-square-foot mansion at 3400 Washington. And they'd been in the home since 1969 and put the home on the rental market. And Alexander and Bruce Owen moved into the mansion in 1984. According to, according to the State Department lawyers, a couple have lived there ever since. But now the federal government wants them, well, wants to boot them out, saying that it's pulled the house off the rental market via the Ellis Act. Per the lawsuit filed by the State Department last week, the Owens, who paying $5,523.19 per month in rent, are refusing to move. Defendants continue to occupy the without lawful authority and trespass of unlawful detainer. Federal lawyers David L. Anderson and Robert Wall state in their complaint. Alleged the property has fallen to such disrepair that the federal landlords have decided it's not worth continuing the rental. The cost, expected maintenance, and repair of the 3400 Washington Street is estimated about $5 million. Significantly, significantly in excess of available rentals, Receipts, uh, 2018 expansion. So under the LSAC, landlords may evict without fault on part of the renters if they intend to take the home off the rental market. The owners received their eviction papers in June 2018, but as the date approached, the defendants did not intend to vacate the property by that date. And I looked. I didn't see anything new. Uh, let me see, actually, here. I didn't see anything new on them being able to evict them or them moving out. But if I do, I'll go ahead and share that. All right. So that was, what are the uh, frozen assets, the Iranian frozen assets? Are they here in the U.S.? Where are they here in the U.S.? And what purpose do they serve here in the U.S.? Obviously, there's a lot of different ones, but I like to share those two of them. The one in Washington, D.C. is a big empty building, and the one in San Francisco Pacific Heights is being rented out, or was being rented out, and they're asking to get out because to upkeep the properties, these massive buildings, it's very, very expensive. All right, that's everything for me. This is Jason with the United News Network. I appreciate it. Take care. If you want to support me, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, hit that follow button wherever you're listening. Appreciate it. If you want to further support me, use my Amazon.com link. Appreciate it. Okay, bye. you hear from me soon.